ticket. Get creative with your kids this spring as you explore God's Word together with the new family discipleship resource from Awana. It's called Talk About. Talk About delivers child discipleship through simple discussions and family fun, forming lasting faith one conversation at a time. With your family's monthly subscription, you receive an email each week containing your Talk About bundle, including guided conversations through selected scripture passages that allow families to engage in the Bible and answer big questions with the truth of God's word. Fun, hands-on activities that take the guesswork out of child discipleship. As kids color, create, sing, and share, they're going to remember what they've learned throughout the week. Helpful references, videos, and insights that provide parents and caregivers with deeper levels of biblical knowledge to help deepen your family's understanding of God's word each week. This isn't just for the kids. It's for the parents, too. It's the everyday moments of life that can become moments that make an eternal difference. These are the moments Talk About was created for. So bring the gospel home. Help your kids form lasting faith one conversation at a time. Try one month of Talk About for free with special promo code WEST. Start today at TalkAboutDiscipleship.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me. Special shout out to any new listeners, any newcomers to the podcast. I know you're out there because a lot of you have come up to me while we're on tour. Many of you, we take pictures together at our VIP Blue Couch experience, and several people have said, hey, I didn't even know you had a podcast until you just told me, so now I'm going to start listening, which is so cool. And many more of you have shared, not only did you know about the podcast, but that you're listening week in and week out, and I can't tell you how much that means to me. So whether you're a newcomer or whether you've been listening from the beginning, Thank you so much for joining me. My prayer is that this podcast will really be an extension of the music that you listen to, an extension of the concert that you went to. And what I mean by that is just an extension of the encouragement and the connection that we can have together to do life together. And hopefully, wherever you're at in the story of your life, I hope each and every week of this podcast points you to Jesus and reminds you that he has great plans for the story of your life. Speaking of the brand new tour, we've had such an awesome time. One incredible night of worship after the other. And don't miss it, okay? Specifically, I've been talking to people and I've noticed how many of them are taking road trips because they said, hey, you weren't coming anywhere near me, so I drove three hours or this or that. And, and especially knowing the price of gas, I I can't tell you how much that means to me. Uh, You guys are just incredible. We've got several dates left throughout the month of April, as well as into the month of May. Uh, Jordan Feliz is joining me right now. One more weekend with our buddy Jordan Feliz and Hannah Kerr. And then my friends Kane are jumping on for the final leg of the tour. So go to brandnewtour.com. We bring the podcast experience to the stage as well. I bring the blue couch with me, and uh, I'm not going to say much more about that. You got to see it to experience it, but it's a really special night. There's some special VIP packages. Most of those I think are selling out, but you might be able to find one available in the city that you plan to travel to. So hope to see you on the road. Also, we just announced a special Christmas weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, a very limited number 
available, uh, inviting you guys. If you want to come and hang out and get in the Christmas spirit with the West family, we're inviting you to Music City, to Nashville, Tennessee, to Franklin, Tennessee, for a very special weekend of Christmas concerts, special dinners, lots of fun surprises. You can find out more about that at MatthewWest.com. Would love to have you join us. We might even record... Uh, an episode of the podcast in front of a live audience, and you can be part of that as well. So uh, lots of good stuff going on, but let's get into today's show right now. My guest is somebody who I have admired for a long time. She's an incredible worship leader, singer, and songwriter, and I'm super excited to talk about her new album, Seven, a live worship album. It's so powerful. Let's go to the story house with my new friend, Brooke Ligertwood. Ladies and gentlemen, here she is. Brooke, welcome to my podcast. This is an honor to be talking to you today. It's an honor for me to be talking to you. And I have heard rumors that you are a lot of fun and that we're going to have a good time together today. So I'm, I'm excited. No well, pressure. No pressure. Now that Yeah, now the pressure's on and it's going to turn into like, remember those old Chris Farley sketches on Saturday Night Live yeah. where he was just like talking to Paul McCartney. Hey, uh, Brooke, remember, remember when you were in Hillsong? Like, that was awesome, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's going to be the made, extent of my Imagine if they made a movie, like, you know that movie Yesterday, which I actually haven't yes. seen, but I just love oh, the gosh. concept of it. Imagine yeah. if that was a movie. They're just like, I just start singing Shout to the Lord sometime, and someone was like, someone's <laughs> like, what is that? It? And nobody's heard it. The worship equivalent of yesterday. Wait, wait, but you've never seen the movie yesterday? You just know the I premise? I haven't seen it. I just know the premise, yeah. Oh, and you could do incredible. like, how great is our God? You just start singing, how great is our God? People are like, what is that? <laughs> and then we would have then we would have that conflict. Do we take credit for it I know. Or not? And then we would be, if we presented, we would probably be struck down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. Well yeah. said. First question on a scale of... Given the name of your new album, I was going to say on a scale of nine to ten, but I almost wonder if I should say <laughs> six to seven. What What's your excitement level right now, having just released your brand new album? My excitement level is somewhere between um, giddy and nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> nauseous because you're nervous or what? Oh, gosh. I'm, just, I'm always know. curious. I don't know. Talk me through this. I don't well, know. I'm just, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm always curious talking to another creator. Like, I know what goes through my mind when I release something that means a lot to me out into the world. So is that the nauseous part? Like, what are people going to think? Or, or how does that work for you? I don't know. This, you know, this record was a very particular one because it wasn't like any that I have ever been involved with before. And I've been really honored to be involved in a lot of records. But this one really was not one that I ever saw coming, not anything that I ever wanted, uh, but really just felt um, like God laid this on our hearts, kind of all the songs came in the period of five to six weeks. I wasn't trying to write a record remotely and this happened, felt like it was something God wanted. And so I guess the nausea part is just, um, gosh, God, I hope I don't screw this up. And <laughs> um, and the giddy part is that um, like I, you know, even the week of recording, it's, it's a live record. We recorded it in November here in Nashville. I just felt no pressure because I, it wasn't because this wasn't my idea, because it felt like something that the Lord had asked of me, I was just like, well, God, this is, you know, this is your thing. And so that's how I feel. I feel um, so honored um, to have been trusted with this and to have uh, the team, the incredible team that um, that came together to work on this. And just, I just feel, I feel excited um, for hopefully for it to be helpful and for it to be, you know, what God had in his heart for it to be. Yeah. And I just don't want to screw it up. 
No doubt about that. And I, I can't I feel like what you're describing too is like it's like a weight of responsibility. Like when you do feel like God's called you to, to do something, then your prayer is, okay, Lord, help me be faithful in what you've called me to do. And then you all, always want to do something to excellence. And if you're anything like me, I, I know I can be my own worst critic. So I have a hard time even listening sometimes to my music after I release it. Cause in my mind, I'd still be working on it, even though I just heard it on the radio. Do you feel that way a little bit? <laughs> 100%. Once we hand something over and yeah. hand over all the elements over, I will never listen to it again. Oh, really? I can't, because I can't change it. I'll always mm. hear something that I want to... So um, is that where the live touring experience kind of sets you free in that you can, you're almost still working out the songs when you get on stage and you're getting to lead worship? Do you feel set free a little bit from being your own worst critic when you hit the stage and are singing those songs live? Well, that's very interesting. You know, I get I have actually two different answers for that. When I am in, when I have my Brooke Fraser hat on, which is my mainstream music, yes. I think that's why touring um, was so excruciating for me and difficult for me because, um, in that kind of context, you know, I'm in, in clubs or at theaters or depending on you know where in the world we're touring, and that for me is you know I have a really narrow scope that I'm aiming through, and I am a perfectionist and I will be imperfect every night, and so I think that's really difficult for me. But with worship, that feels different because that's just me being completely myself and I am there to to serve and to lead and so I don't think about me so almost you're right so when it's like when it's worship and we are going after the presence of God together that is so freeing for me because I know it's going to be imperfect but that's not what I'm aiming for I'm we're aiming for a person not a product yeah come on that's amazing I find your artistic journey to be pretty fascinating and one to be like, it seems to defy, like you just even pointed to when I've got my Brooke Fraser hat on, like you've got these different lanes and each lane is authentically you. And you can hear the common thread in terms of like, when I hear your voice, I know it's you, which came first. Was it the pop music solo artist? I mean, you've been part of Hillsong for, is it 17 years? Yeah. <laughs> is this your first solo worship album? Yes. The okay. Alpha and the Omega, I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but talk about these different lanes and why they're each important and how they represent different sides of, of your artistic voice. Yeah, so, I mean, my journey is, um, is peculiar and miraculous. I'm a, I'm a girl from Lower Hutt, New Zealand. Um, none of my parents are Christians. I came to faith alone in my bedroom at 15 years old. I had begun writing songs a few years before that when I was 12. Um, you know, when I'm 12, my subject matter wasn't very uh, <laughs> deep. I'm, I, my first song was a, a, called Sandfly, which is a blood-sucking oh. insect in New Zealand. So that was my first song. Uh, shortly after I moved to, um, uh, when Princess Diana passed away, I wrote a song about her funeral. Wow, um, so, okay. So, so these were my, you know, 12-year-old, you know, 12, 13-year-old songs. And then, yeah, when I was 15, I, I met Jesus and I was, you know, I just still kept writing. But then all of a sudden, as well as writing, writing the songs that I was already writing about the world around me and um, this, these questions that I had about being a, an angsty teenager, uh, I then began writing songs to Jesus as well, this, this saviour that I had discovered and was getting to know. And so for me, it wasn't like I uh, was consciously choosing um, to be in a particular lane or to be in multiple lanes. It, there was never that complexity. It was just I'm, I'm writing the songs that are true to me. And some of those are songs to Jesus and other of those are, are songs of me processing the world and my experience. So when I was 18 years old, right out of high school, 
very crazy God story, which we don't have time to get into now, but I signed to Sony Music at the age of 18 uh, for a five-album deal and began making that. So my first record came out. I was 19 years old. Um, We had five number one radio songs off that record. So my life really changed overnight, and I was still a child. After that, it was after, I think, a year and a half or so um, after that, that I moved to Australia, to Sydney, met all the people who had become my best friends, one of them my husband, and people who were part of Hillsong Church. So then I moved to Australia, became part of Hillsong Church, um, and then it took a little while because I, I was always, you know, when I was at church and people would say, oh, why don't you lead worship? I had was having such profound experiences alone in my bedroom um, in the presence of God with worship that I was like, oh, just because I can sing sometimes a little bit, it doesn't mean that I can lead worship. Those aren't the same thing. So I was very much like, you know, I'll come and put out chairs and um, wipe. I remember my first women's conference I served at and one of my jobs was to um, to wipe the the lipstick encouragement messages off the mirror in the ladies' bathrooms, <laughs> you know. So I was just, I, I always had a heart for, for the house. I'll serve however I can. And then um, my our worship pastor at the time, Pastor Darlene Sheck, tricked me into wow. leading worship. <laughs> and Speaking of shout to the Lord. <laughs> speaking of shout to the Lord. She got me shouting to the Lord. Um, and, and I realized that maybe this was something that the Lord wanted me to do as well. Never heard from him directly about it, uh, but just was like, okay, if this, is, if this is a way that I can serve church, then I will. So both basically were happening in parallel. I was, you know, out during the weeks or on weekends. I was out touring or doing promo, my Brooke Fraser mainstream stuff. And then Sundays I was home serving in church. Um, and so both of those things have existed um, in parallel for all these years. Yeah. I love what you said a moment ago, a heart for the house. I grew up in church, um, different story than you. Um, my dad was a pastor and you know, I grew up in and around church, which presents its own set of challenges in terms of when it's kind of, I always joke about like, as a kid, I just felt like I'll probably get to heaven because I'm in the family business. You know what I mean? And and so to have a heart for the house when you grew up in the house and kind of, it presents its own types of struggles, but deep down there to ask the Lord to keep my heart like tender for the house and to really, even though sometimes when you can feel like you're burned by the church and things like that. I love that Darlene Check was such a huge influence. How can we just talk about for a second, how good that song shout to the Lord is? Of course she's, she's written many, but is that probably one of her most well-known songs that she's written? I would say for sure. It's gotta be right. She's got so many good ones, but shout to the Lord is, yeah. Shout to the Lord is pretty iconic at this point. And I think really, you know, for, I mean, I like, I didn't grow up in the church. You did. So you could probably speak into this more than me, but you know, from, from what I understand her writing that song and leading that song was a pretty big deal for women in the church as well. I don't know if up until then, I don't know how many female worship leaders there had been like that. So she's a a way maker for sure. Yeah. I would certainly consider, Consider her a pioneer in that sense. And then the way that she's spoken into artists like yourselves who've gone on to, you know, reach so many people uh, leading worship. And back to for your solo artistry part of it, I was listening this morning to Something in the Water and uh, <laughs> it's just such a killer song. But it's like, I, I think that's so cool. And it shows that the depth of your artistry. So anybody listening to this who may be familiar with the Hillsong version of Brooke to go and listen to, you would still encourage people strongly to go listen to all the different music you've made, right? I would, because I think there's some awesome songs on on both sides of it. And it just shows the the different depths of your your artistry, right? Yeah, I mean I, you know, Brooke Fraser, it's it's funny, you know, I think I look back on those years, particularly when it was 
pretty, I would say, misunderstood with the church. People were like, are you part of Hillsong? Are you not part of Hillsong? I'm like, yes, I'm part of Hillsong. And yeah. I'm making this music that's for people outside of the four walls of the church. And honestly, the I have a box in my garage at home of letters uh, from people who had who have had encounters with the Lord listening to Brooke Fraser music. And that is not quote-unquote Christian music. But I know that Jesus found me alone in my bedroom. And wow. so I have such, uh, both by personal experience and these boxes of testimonies in my garage, if the Lord wants to chase you down, He will chase you down and He will use anything. And um, and I'm really encouraged that, you know, my songs that aren't worship songs, songs that are for people who will never walk into the four walls of the church could be used by God to draw people to themselves as, as a miracle. But that's who He is. Yeah. I feel like every time I see God use a little three-minute song, I'm amazed by how big he is that he can use little things. Oh my gosh. It's just yeah. a, a constant like amazement when I'm on stage or or like you said, the letters in your garage, the stories that you receive from people. It's powerful. I'm curious with um this new record. It's called Seven. You said you weren't planning on this. Uh, I'm curious how the last what our world has gone through in the last couple of years, Brooke. Did some of the inspiration come out of like this wilderness desert season? That, w- that we've kind of all gone through this pandemic, how did that affect the decision to make this record? Or was it just not affected at all by what has gone on the last couple of years? I'm just curious. It definitely uh, played into it. I mean, 2020, everything shut down for everybody. And, you know, we as, as Hillsong Worship, I get the privilege of, of leading Hillsong Worship. And we were figuring out, okay, we are separated by borders as a team. How do we continue to serve people? How do we continue to serve our church? So we figured out how to make a studio record in three different countries like wow. together and spliced it all together with editing. We did it, but it was excruciating. It was horrible. Uh, the result was beautiful. It was called Take Heart Again. But, yeah. you know, apart from that, the rest of 2020 in a non-travel year, non-touring, non-traveling, I only wrote three days that that entire year. And I got to the end of that year. I was just on Zoom meetings and fixing things and trying to be responsible and doing these things. Got to the end of the year and went, that's not okay. Uh, Because maybe one of the things that that God has given me to do, which is most devastating to darkness, is to is to bring a song that could be a weapon in the mouth of somebody. And I ha- I haven't done that. Wow. So I talked to our Hillsong worship team. I'm like, hey, can we work towards in May just me being able to step out of the office for four weeks and just go and be creative, just yeah. take some time away from these administrative tasks? And they were like, yes, absolutely, let's do that. So it was basically May. I took four weeks out of the office and I just booked in time with friends that I hadn't seen in a year and a half at that point um, with no agenda or goal as the, just to be together, to sit around meals together, to sit around instruments together and see what happened. And this entire record, all of the songs you hear, happened in that space of During time. During that window, wow. And it was a miracle because I definitely wasn't, it was, it was only probably after the sixth or seventh song that was written in that time I went, what is happening? Because I've been, <laughs> you know, you make records, it's like they don't happen like that. Well, at least not for me. And for them to come so quickly and so fully formed and for each one to feel like it was the next chapter in the same book. Okay, um, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, was because you know you're, you're familiar. You know we've we've got drop boxes of songs, drop boxes of demos, da da da. And it's one thing to have a drop box of ten songs. It's another to have songs that belong together and feel like a collective statement. And literally, that's what seven is. So I realized pretty quick 
this is something. And I don't write that quickly either. That's my thing. I So I would sit down with my friends. I'd be like, hey, whatever happens today, just know I'm committed to writing this song for one, two years. Like, there's no rush. Okay, so you're not afraid to let a song marinate and take take your time with it. But these were happening way faster than you typically... These were happening. Wow. They were coming complete and feeling like they belong together. And honestly, feeling like, you know, we were with Jason and Grim, who's a good friend of ours. My husband, Scott, and I, uh, we wrote King of Kings together, a song called King of Kings a few years ago. And we joked with each other, we can never write together again, because that was the first time we'd ever written together and like- King of Kings happened. <laughs> and we were like, we're Such peaked. a good song. Yes, <laughs> we're peaked. Yes. We cannot, we cannot get together again, yeah, but yeah. we we love each other. So look, let's get together for a couple of days. We are definitely, there's no King of Kings coming, but let's just hang out. And by the end of the second day, we had written three complete songs. Wow. <laughs> and, we, and I went, okay, God, all right, what are you doing? Just really, this felt like this was something that the Lord wanted. So we went, all right, we've all got other jobs and a million responsibilities. Let's just do this in the gaps. And it, came together. Yeah. I think there's something important to what you said about like the songs going together, like in such a singles driven world we live in from a music consumption standpoint, like what I could tell with everything around the release of your album seven is there's a connectivity from track to track, even like, and it was your husband influential in the graphic design. I think I saw you were answering some questions on Instagram and you mentioned, I think your husband, Scott, came up with these different, it looks like each song has its own sort of visual representation. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So Scott is a a songwriter. So he co-wrote half of the record as well, but he is a brilliant, brilliant um, ideator and uh, visual artist. He's just, it's a, he's actually anointed to do it. And so even when it comes to, um, we've been using a, a, and this album font, the word seven for a long time now. And that happened. I was, I was talking to him. It was very, Early on, these songs came kind of, kind of halfway through April through to June third. A thousand hallelujahs was written. That was the last one, and it was probably a month or so after that when we realised, okay, this is the thing. I said to Scotty, I'm going to have to call it something, and I'm going to title it based on. I know I'm going to have to talk about this a lot. What do I actually care about? What do I want people to ask? What do I actually care about talking about? And I had spent um, most of the year last year in a a book called Discipleship on the Edge, which is a commentary on the book of Revelation, the freakiest book in the Bible. (laughs) And (laughs) it had so moved and inspired me, and particularly the opening chapter of Revelation, John is told to write down what he sees and send it to the seven churches. And then he turns around to see who was talking to him. And it was one like a son of man standing in the middle of the seven lampstands. And then it says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the one standing in the middle is, of course, Jesus. So I said to Scott, you know, that's what I care about. I think this album, I think these are like the letters that the Lord's asked me to write and send to the church and to remind us that he's standing in the middle. Uh, he's still in the middle of the church. Uh, and I said to him, so I want to call it like seven lampstands, but that doesn't really, <laughs> that doesn't really like roll off the tongue. And then I went out and I came back and he turned his computer screen to me and he said, I think I had a God drop. And it was just that word seven in that font. And he had all the symbols. He had all of the stuff that had happened in the space of about an hour and a half. So he's really um, brilliant and gifted uh, and in tune with the Lord when it comes to that stuff. So yeah, this everything you see uh, has has Scott's touch on it. Yeah. What's it like to have your your husband, your best friend be part of that creative process with you? And I mean, it sounds like he's a real champion for you and the way you speak about him, you, you, you're a champion for each other. But to go through that creative process together 
and see what he brings to it. And it's got to be a pretty special experience. Yeah, it has been really special. We've we've collaborated on a lot of things over a lot of years, and and certainly Scott serves in Hillsong worship in that capacity a, a lot. But I think with this project, one thing that has just been so sweet is that um, there are no other external factors in what we need to decide. We he and I get to dream about it and then execute it without compromise. That's special. Um, and so to see him be able to have a vision and execute it to its fullest has been. So, so sweet and rewarding. Yeah. So while a song like A Thousand Hallelujahs might be what they would call like a feature track or, uh, you know, a single or whatever, your vision when you're creating this project is for something to sit down and have a listening and worshiping experience from top to bottom. Like even, I'm going to guess even why this song is track two, why this song's right? Like those are things that you, maybe only you and Scott and Jason Ingram, who's an amazing, talented singer, songwriter, producer, there's elements that maybe you'll only be mindful of, but there's all those little nuances and details to me are what make the music listening experience a special one, right? I mean, have you, did you kind of even not agonize, but you maybe labor over which song goes where and why. Well, I guess with this particular record, yeah, I structured it like like the 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 track listing is literally the the song list from the night. That's literally the order. So okay, so you put it together the way that you wanted the set to feel in the live performance. Yes, exactly. And not performance, but you know yes, what I mean. Yes, yes, yes. The live worship night. So I treated I treat the track list like a song list, as a, ah. like a worship service. So you know we have the the opening songs of kind of gratitude and invitation, and then kind of we move into um, a devotional and a worship space. Then we move into a reflection space. Then we kind of get in the little, the challenging space, the prophetic space, the Nineveh and the burn and the stuff that's like a little bit weird. <laughs> and then kind of, you know, bring people to a place of comfort and joy with honey in the rock and then um, go to an altar call space with I belong to Jesus and then finish on King Jesus, which is just majesty vertical. Yeah. So anybody listening to this right now should get so fired up and excited to listen to this from top to bottom, because just even what you just described, the amount of like prayer and thought and planning that goes into putting this experience together, that fires me up when I'm thinking, when I go to listen to something, it's not just like a bunch, well, we wrote a bunch of songs that we thought were cool and we just threw them out on a record. Like, it's never that. It's always something way more heartfelt and complex. And I should expect that coming from someone like yourself and the the music you've put out over the years. It seems at the start of every new year, I have at least one hiring need for my team. I wonder if you're in the same boat. Maybe you've got some ambitious hiring goals. Well, no sweat because you're not waiting for the right candidates to find you. You're finding them first with Indeed. I love Indeed. And if you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. It's that easy. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need just one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. You find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have 
requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash West. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash West to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash West. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Winning app and debit card has no overdraft fees, foreign transaction fees, monthly fees, or service fees. With over 60,000 fee-free in-network ATMs at many locations like most Walgreens, 7-Eleven, CVS, you can access your money when you need it, where you need it. You can also send money to anyone, even if they aren't on Chime. Fee-free for you and no cash-out fees for them. Make your first good decision of the new year and join over 10 million people using Chime. Sign-up takes only two minutes and doesn't affect your credit score at all. Get started at Chime.com slash West. That's Chime.com slash West. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank. NA members FDIC get fee-free transactions at any MoneyPass ATM in a 7-Eleven location at any AllPoint or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Otherwise, out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Sometimes, pay-anyone instant transfers can be delayed. The recipient must use a valid debit card or be a Chime member to claim funds. Why is it so important and what makes it so special for you to do a live album? Like usually that would be seen as like the ancillary project or something like that. But when it comes to worship, there's just there's something special when I'm listening to the songs you've put out on this record and hearing all the voices. But what was it always from day one when you were writing these songs? You're like, this is not a studio album. This is a live album. When did that click for you and why was it important to do a live version of it first? I mean, I think it definitely would have been a lot easier and a lot cheaper to do a studio record. Really? Oh, yeah. But um, it never occurred to me to that this was a studio project because, because I knew it, these were songs for the church and I knew that what people had been listening and what maybe people had forgotten, you know, doing church online or not at all for the past year or so was the sound of the church. Uh, and I knew that it was that even more than the lyrics and the melodies and the beautiful musical arrangements and the insane choir parts, which are so fun, that it was actually the sound of the faith of the church that's going to be what ministers most to some people. Some people will put on this album to listen to a song, but it will be the sound of people's devotion and the sound of the room mics that actually is what uh, brings breakthrough for them. So that's what I'm really excited about. The sound of community, the sound of togetherness. Exactly. Not the sound of professional singers, the sound of just ordinary men and women just coming around, gathering around the name of Jesus and pouring out praise to him. Yeah. For someone who's led Hillsong for so many years and you've, you've led in worship all around the world. And like you said, when the pandemic hit and, Hillsong, you're, all of your group are separated. You're not able to tour like you have been. What did you find yourself praying 
for somebody who has a heart for the house, as you said earlier, what has your prayer been for the church coming up out of this extreme, never before experienced season of isolation and distance from each other and everything going virtual? What has been on your heart for the church? Probably a prayer for courage. Um, Yeah, it takes courage to persevere. It takes courage to uh, rise up. And I, we did a Hillsong worship recording um, just recently, which was a bit of a miracle. We, the Australia opened its borders and let yeah, our people right. out finally. Right, <laughs> um, right. And so a few of us were able to get together for the first time in over two years and, and worship together. And, uh, you know, a few people were nervous about it. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen. Is this the right thing to do? Da, da, da. Just before we did that, I had been visiting my friend's church and he was preaching a message and he said, he said, you have to move toward the possibility of victory. And that was such a word for for me, and I think for for us and our team, and I and perhaps a word for people listening, that even if it seems like, well, why would I bother? I'm going to be defeated. Why would I bother trying? Because my enemies outnumber me. The circumstances outweigh my faith. We've got to move toward the possibility of victory, and we serve a God who is well able to to deliver us and. And victory is in his hands. So we've got to just move toward the possibility. So my prayer is a prayer for courage for all of us to do that, whatever that looks like for us. Courage to uh, be willing to stand up for our faith. I don't know that we know what it feels like to be persecuted for our faith anywhere near what, what the martyrs in history had to experience. You know what I mean? But I do feel like there's a season that we're entering into or in right now where it's definitely like, you know, are you willing to to stand up for your faith in Jesus? And it takes courage. There's no doubt about it. So you wrote a song. I love looking at track listings, like from a songwriter's perspective. Like, I love it when I see a title and I'm like, I can't figure out what that one's about. Like, sometimes I'll try to guess what a song's about just from looking at the title, because sometimes titles will be a, a very literal interpretation of here's what you're about to experience. And so, you know what I mean? But uh, and then I look at a title, I see Nineveh, and I'm like... Okay. All right. That's interesting. And I went on that journey listening to the song Nineveh and it's like not the type of song I expected in a live worship album. And it was beautiful and it was challenging. And it was like, and I know the story of Jonah and I know the story of this nasty place called Nineveh that Jonah wanted no part of. And he ran from God. And I just wanted to ask you about that song specifically. Uh, And of course, we could talk about any other song that you're excited to talk about, but why Nineveh? And what did it speak to you personally about that song? Oh my gosh, that song is probably some of the most fun I've ever had. It's so cool. (laughs) It's so cool. Um, And that, you know, that is all like Pastor Stephen Furtick uh, texted me in April last year. And he said, I want to write a song called Nineveh and I want you to write it with me. And I basically said, I'm getting on the plane. And so and so he it was him that he was one of the the friends I got together with in, in that May period that I was talking about before. And you know, knowing and going into into that time with him knowing we were going to write a song called Nineveh, we both separately, you know, just sat in the book of Jonah, studied it, read it, reread it, reread it, reread it, reread it. And so I think by the time we came together, it had been percolating in each of us um so potently that this song actually came so easy. And so, yeah, the, 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 the lyric sticks pretty closely to, through the narrative of the book of Jonah up until the bridge where we get to the point that Jonah never got to in his journey. So 
Jonah ended up begrudgingly obeying, as we know, with a big frown on his face. He was never happy about it, but he did it. Uh, so Jonah obeyed, but he never surrendered. Wow. Um, he, we get to the end of the book of Jonah and he's still mad. He's still mad about it. He's mad that God is a compassionate God. He never got to the point of saying, Holy Spirit, help me see where there is Nineveh in me, which is that lyric in the bridge. So that's where we, we leave the book of Jonah and we come to the New Testament where Jesus is the perfect prophet. Jonah, clearly a very imperfect prophet. Jesus is the perfect prophet who is able to not just deliver us the truth about ourselves, but also be our priest who offered himself as the high priest, who offered himself as the sacrifice uh, because there is Nineveh in all of us. But how incredible. We have a God of compassion who turns toward us, not to judge and kill us, but to help reveal the truth to us so that we might turn to him and receive mercy and compassion. So that's Nineveh. <laughs> Man, it's powerful though. I mean, to really say, like, help me see the Nineveh in me, like to be uh, almost uh, the plank in your own eye, if you will, um, that realization that uh, some serious self-inventory might be necessary. You said something every now and then, you know how different people will pop up on your Instagram feeds and you'll just click on a video and you were doing some sort of a Q&A and you said something that like I thought was powerful because a big part of like my platform over the last couple of years has just been, I've had this song called truth be told. And it's like just encouraging people to, uh, the whole premise of the song is this, I say, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine, but I'm not. And over the last couple of years, like we've done a good job of pretending that we're, that we're fine, you know? And a lot of times I think there's a lot of people that feel the pressure the sign on the door of the church says, come as you are. And yet that might be the one place where we feel least comfortable to actually let our walls down. And so there's this pressure of performance and things like that. But you said something in a, in a Q and a about vulnerability coming from a place of I'm paraphrasing, but I think you were talking about, I wrote it down actually, because I thought it was so good about the best type of vulnerability comes from a place of security. Did I wrongly paraphrase? Yeah, no, no, I think that's right. Yeah. The context of that and what exactly did you mean by that? Because I think there's some ways I can grow as a communicator to other people when I'm encouraging them to, you know, to let the truth be told in their life and not always pretend to be perfect. But what does that mean to come from a place of security? The safest way to be vulnerable is to come at it from a place of security. And I guess what that means is I heard something or read something recently, like too much information actually um, erodes trust, which is interesting. If you meet somebody for the first time and you unload with all the deepest and craziest information about your life, it actually doesn't build trust. Um, it's it's what um, my husband and I often call it step skipping. <laughs> there can be a lot of like step skipping in, in community. People are like, oh, I, I want to be close to you. So I'm going to tell you the worst thing that ever happened to me, you know. Right. And, Which uh, actually <laughs> might make people kind of recoil. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think, you know, or, um, or, and maybe that also that's, that is vulnerability out of almost insecurity. It's vulnerability because I I think that I'm going to feel safe if I build trust and relationship with this in this way. Whereas, you know, even if you look at, you know, sometimes worship leaders when they begin a spontaneous moment, but they start actually probably praying things that maybe should be prayed in private. So there's <laughs> there's vulnerability that can serve other people and there's vulnerability that doesn't serve people. So I suppose what I mean about vulnerability and security is a, a secure person uh, goes, how can I 
use vulnerability in this moment, if we're talking about communicating with others, to serve the the person that I'm being vulnerable with. Um, Because then I guess there's the alternative, which which is being vulnerable out of insecurity because there's something I think that I need or want. So I don't want people to overthink it too much, uh, though. But uh, I just thought that was a really, I don't know, when it came across my feed, I was interested. There was no context around that, but I just thought that was really interesting. And even when you start talking about as a worship leader, Brooke, like, how do you, when you're leading worship, like not, you never want to be forcing moments to take place. And you're somebody who's been a part of this for a long time and not unlike, you know, so my childhood, like growing up in church and like when you're around the church longer, you can know like the different things to say or the buttons to push or the like a lot of like my song truth be told came out of my experience as a preacher's kid knowing well if i raise my hand and i'm in the front row and i raise my hand during the slow song and worship like the people behind me the parents behind me will nudge their kid going why can't you be more you know what i mean like wow and sort of losing the ability to have an authentic expression of worship, let alone when you're in, like when you're in front of people and you're just wanting to worship the Lord, how do you find that you keep your heart tender and your heart for the house and your heart for the Lord and just saying, I'm up here, I'm with Hillsong, there's thousands of people in this arena and I don't want to, for a second, be fooled into thinking that I'm going to be able to conjure up some special worship experience, that it is not about me. Can you just tell me, let me inside your head and your heart to some degree bef- in what happens before you're walking on stage or even moments when you fight against that? Is is that a thing? There's many sided answers to that. One side is that, you know, one thing that I'm grateful for in the pandemic is that, you know, I, so, you know, I'm part of Hillsong Church, obviously, uh, but I go, uh, my husband and our kids and I, we're part of the Orange County campus, which after the, during the pandemic, you know, we couldn't gather again. We never had a building to begin with. We were renting a theatre. And so we started gathering in a tent in a parking lot where we still are today. So what I love and I actually treasure it is that at the moment, that's my context for leading worship. I haven't been in an arena in a long time. Three weeks ago, I was at Orange County leading worship in the tent. Third wow. song in, the power cuts out. And I'm like, guess we're doing Cornerstone. <laughs> so I'm there with my Let's acoustic. Go. And, you know, but it was powerful. And I um, I love that because I feel like my experience at the moment of building church is way closer to probably what the average person in a church, you know, we don't have an LED screen at the moment. Our, our lyrics are on a TV on a stick and we don't have a big PA. We've got the speakers on sticks that you get from like Radio Shack, you know. Uh, we don't have a nice PA, but we don't need that to be the church. We need our faith. <laughs> we need um, to be unified around the name of Jesus. We don't need to agree on everything, but we do need to unite around the name of Jesus. And uh, when we gather in His name, here He is in our midst. And one thing a friend of mine said last year that really has stuck with me, he said, God, you know, throughout Scripture, he's a, he's a theologian, he says, God comes to prepared places. So whether I am getting up in our tent in the parking lot in Orange County or an arena or this morning in front of, you know, cameras that can be like awkward. I always think about that. God comes to prepared places. So my first question that I ask myself is how have I prepared my heart? And then, you know, how, in rehearsal, how have we as a team prepared? Then in prayer meeting, how have we prepared through prayer? How have we refocused and remembered and invited the Lord to inhabit our praise this morning or tonight or whenever it is? And then lastly, how can I, as a as a, a leader who is here to serve the people gathered here, 
What is it that I can do with this team to help these people prepare room in their own hearts and lives for the Lord? That's beautiful. And speaking of prepared places, the live recording experience of your brand new album, Seven, I saw you mention on Instagram that there were there were moments when you were recording the song King Jesus where just everything stopped and you guys were preparing and God showed up in a powerful way. Can you talk about that experience specifically around recording that song or anything else about the record as well when you were in that? Because it's a live recording. There's a big choir. There's all these people just excited to to worship and see what happens. And sometimes unexpected things happened, right? Yeah, so it was in rehearsal one night. We were rehearsing this song that it's the the final song on on the record. It's a it's a monster. It's nine and a half minutes long. Well, I love um, it. <laughs> but we were rehearsing that song, and the the presence of God just came in the room. And I think one thing I've learned about about hearing the voice of God is that when you listen, you hear Him more. When you there's been times in my life where I have decided not maybe consciously, but um, maybe dismiss the voice of God in certain situations. And then it will only be, you know, a few weeks go by and I'll realize, huh, I feel like the Lord's been a bit quiet. And how I'm linking that is I feel like when we, when we listen, he's so faithful to speak. But if I quench that, I'm maybe not being a trustworthy hearer. And so with moments like that in rehearsal, the priority doesn't become the rehearsal and getting the parts and the camera angles right, the priority has to be the being trustworthy, uh, being trust, a trustworthy steward of his presence because um, how can I say, Lord, please come during this recording, but it's inconvenient for you to come during rehearsal. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't do oh, yeah. I don't I can't do that. So I'm like, Lord, yes, this is this is I we want this to be yours. We want you to ride in upon this praise. So you get to do that whenever you want. And if you want to do that right here in this rehearsal, you get to do that. And so we, yeah, we I I was snot crying. And I, you know, I had a couple of amazing uh, worship leaders on the stage with me, one of them being a brilliant guy called John Wilds. And I just said, John, can you just lead us? And so he just began to lead us in another song. And we just spent that time. And I remember just looking around the room and our audio guys just left their stations and had their hands in the air. The camera guys put their cameras on the ground and just knelt. And we just enjoyed Jesus together and, um, and I think that that was really important. I think that that was also us saying to the Lord, this really is yours. You really get to do what you want. And so I think also experiencing those moments as a team when there were no cameras switched on and where there were no people in the room, um, I think what that did also for us as a team and our expectation going into the recording was really important as well. I mean, it speaks to what you just said about God moving into prepared places. That challenges me too, just to go like, Hey, am I preparing myself before I step on stage? Am I, you know what I mean? Like God search me and know me, reveal any unclean way in me. Just, and then being able to step into that moment with great expectation for how he's going to show up and not trying to define how he will show up or for how long or, so, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. And I think that really comes through in this new record. So the new record's out. It was the unexpected record. You weren't planning on making it. Touring is starting to come back. Hillsong uh, with my friends casting crowns. You're going to be, will any of your songs from seven 
wind up like will you be singing any of those songs in the Hillsong set or or do you keep it all separate and you have plans to maybe do some worship events around the seven album? Yeah, I think we'll we'll focus on on this Hillsong Worship Cast and Crowns tour. We have a new Hillsong Worship record out called These Same Skies, so we'll be doing new songs from that. That's awesome. And then and then later on we will do <laughs> we will do something uh for seven. Yeah. Yes. So, so many amazing things. So what are you what are you looking forward to most in the rest of 2022? What are you excited about? What what's God showing you that's that's ahead? This yes that we said to the Lord with seven is I shudder to think what what I wouldn't have known that I'd missed if I hadn't said yes to the Lord. So I just feel a renewed vigor for obedience, you know, and um and excited to see what the rest of the year holds. There's a there's a lot of you know a lot of um, ministry ahead. Um, I, I you know I've got two little girls growing up before my eyes. Looking forward to bringing them on the journey, um, trying to be a good mum, a mum who can be there and be present for them in the midst That's of all good, this as well. They're my first ministry. That's good. That's <laughs> so um good. so I just I'm looking for God so good and so kind and. I'm just a girl from Lower Hut, just holding on to Jesus with all I got. So that's that's the plan. <laughs> she met God in her bedroom as a, did you say, twelve year old? Fifteen, yeah. Fifteen year old. Oh, that's right. Before before Jesus, you were writing songs about blood sucking flies. Is that? What that's I'm right. <laughs> what a long way she's come, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hey Brooke, God, God's doing such amazing things through through your voice, and uh, I can tell that you're a prepared place, and uh, and so it's no wonder. And I'm super excited for everybody here. The new Hillsong record, your new seven album, and uh, I just know more great music to come. Whether it's your solo stuff or any of these other platforms, um, it's no wonder that people are going to be drawn closer to the heart of Jesus because I can tell that's your mission in your own life. So one of these days we will write a song together. Can you promise me? that. Yeah, I, let's do it. I don't have any titles like Nineveh, but if I come up with a title that I feel like is, that has uh, Brooke's name all over it, I'll reach out to you and we'll get together and write one one of these days. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm so glad that you could join me today. Thank you so much for being part of the show. And uh, we're going to point people, post links on the podcast page and on uh, Instagram and everywhere, pointing them to the new album. So congratulations on seven, Brooke. Thank you so much. You're so kind. All right, it's time for Songs from the Story House. In honor of my friend Brooke, who you just got to hear from, we're going to feature one of her songs from this latest album. So uh, you can listen to just a little piece of it. Our, uh, her record label was kind enough to let us play a little uh, section of this song, and then uh, you can go and stream it and listen to it wherever you listen to music. This is Honey in the Rock. He's my dad and he gives good advice and that's why today's last segment of the show was called Dad Vice. Play that music, would you? He is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. 
Nice. Dad, thanks for joining me as always. We've had a lot of fun on the road, and uh, you've been sharing your dad jokes on the road yeah, too. But yeah. uh, we're going to save the, ja- the dad <laughs> jokes for our weekly quiet time. Yeah. Uh, instead, let's uh, come in strong with some dad advice today. We've been keeping first things first, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What do you want to talk about today? Uh, we're going to talk about first responders. And at every concert, we have some first responders. They're law enforcement that come, and, and they're there. Yeah, keep uh, us safe. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, but the story is going to come out of Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the same time, most people are familiar with this. We know that it involves a, a man getting robbed and almost beaten to death. We know it involves a priest and a Levite and then a Good Samaritan. And we know that only one person responded. We know that this whole scenario was started by a lawyer testing Jesus just to see if he could get Jesus in a, in a trap saying, who's, who's my neighbor and, and who am I supposed to uh, show uh, love to? There has never been a time in history we, when we have been more focused on first responders than in these past two years, not just to mention our, our concerts, uh, the uh, police officers, the EMT, the doctors, the nurse, the paramedics, healthcare worker. We saw one after another on TV responding to people in great need in these past two years. So as believers, we are called on to be first responders. Right, right. Uh, the Good Samaritan, the original first responder. What can we learn from him? Three quick things. He saw an urgent need. He responded without hesitation. He became the hands and feet of Jesus. And can we ask ourselves, Lord, or can we make this our prayer? I want to be that kind of first responder as a Christ follower. I want to see urgent needs. I want to respond without hesitation. I want to become the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes I'm not always seeing those urgent needs because of my needs. And uh, sometimes I hesitate to respond. So just I want to close with just challenging all of us, and including myself, these three questions. Do I consider myself to be a first responder, a good neighbor? Am I willing to serve on the front lines? That was question two. And question three, am I the hands and feet of Jesus? Lord, use me as a first responder in these hard times and last days. That's a great reminder for all of us. And uh, they will know we are Christians by our love and by the way that we respond to those who are in need. We can turn a blind eye, we can walk past it, and we can wait for somebody else to do something, somebody once said, or we could realize that God created us to be the first responders and, and to be the hands and feet of Christ. Thanks for that reminder, Dad. Thank you, Matthew. Hey, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining me, guys. I want to thank my guest, Brooke Ligertwood, for joining me as well. Be sure to check out her latest album. We will post a link to that album at the official podcast page, which is where you can find out tons of cool information about every guest and every episode. If you've missed one and you want to go travel through, it's a great resource at matthewwest.com slash 
podcast. Also, thanks to my dad for joining me with our segment of Dad Vice. It's been uh, so much fun to be able to share that experience with him week in and week out. And so many of you have shared how you've been encouraged and maybe heard just the right message at just the right time. And that's exactly what we pray for. Our ministry is called Pop We. We are supported by some amazing Pop We partners who give monthly to our ministry. And we would love to have you join us in that support as we continue to reach a lost and hurting world with the message of hope in Christ. Go to popwe.org today if you'd like to become a monthly supporter or if you have a prayer request or if you want to share your story of what God's doing in your life. You can do all of that at popwe.org. And last but not least, when you're at popwe.org, you can sign up to start receiving a free weekly email devotional called Day One Devos that I send out. I would love to include you among the thousands of people who are receiving that email every week. So be sure to join us at popwe.org. Okay, go make the most of the one life you get. You get one shot. No regrets, no what ifs. And remember, it's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.